two things um, that you should know. Um, the first of which I shared with the 845 service when I had on a coat and just a tie, I, I opened my shirt to reveal that I have a Superman t-shirt on. Um, and some of you will, you will know that that does not refer to myself as being Superman. I'm no Clark Kent hiding away. But our children are uh, enjoying celebrating Sunday fun day. Um, and today the focus is on superheroes. And of course, the greatest hero of our lives is that Jesus Christ is Lord, which is printed right before us here. Um, and this will be the emphasis, of course, of their lesson today. Uh, but Courtney has done such a wonderful job of doing some planning throughout the summer and they will be sharing special times together. Um, I do want to remind you that today is a very special day in the life of the church. Uh, this is Pentecost, and you'll see that on our altar uh, there are great remembrances, not only of, uh, of that by way of the color and the candles, but also the scripture that is turned to this very page that has been read today um, from our Bibles and also is repeated annually on this occasion. If you think to yourself, well, I've heard this one before, uh, you are right. And in fact, you will hear it again as we share together in the focus of this day. Uh, Pentecost has not always been owned so by the Christian community. In fact, it predates us by a number of years. Uh, it was first claimed by those who were Jewish, Hebrew in their faith, and as they uh, celebrated the 50th day just beyond Passover, uh, they called it Pentecost. Pente means five, and so Pentecost was the celebration of this 50th day beyond um, the Passover celebration. Um, it has evolved over the years uh, for the Jewish community to be a celebration not only of a harvest festival, uh, which is kind of hard for us to think about at this time of the year. Our harvest festivals are in the fall. That's when we get together and have our parades and have our focus on, on different uh, things that uh, the farmers uh, have made possible and in our communities. You, I know, will attend several of those probably yourself uh, even this coming fall. Uh, but the focus of their harvest festival called uh, Pentecost um, also took on a meaning for them to remember uh, the giving of the Torah, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, the law to Moses. And, uh, and so this time, the Shvat, is a time of remembering uh, that precious nature, the connection uh, that the people have with the holy law of God. Uh, Luke um, gets us into this story. Uh, not uh, simply by uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, but uh, his first telling of, of this story begins with the end of the gospel according to Luke, uh, which is in the 24th chapter when he says uh, what Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Uh, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city. Stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The second volume of Luke's telling of the story is the beginning of Acts. And he 
continues the story of Jesus' ascension. Jesus, of course, uh, died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. The tomb was empty on uh, that precious day of Easter, and Jesus began to appear to his disciples after that time of resurrection. And then on his last day uh, with his disciples, he ascended into heaven. And not only does Luke close his gospel with that telling, but he begins, he begins the telling of that same story in Acts, the first chapter. What I'd like to, to draw your attention to, though, this morning is the way in which the community has done exactly what Jesus called it to do. He said, wait here in the city, stay together, wait here in the city, for he was going to send a great gift to them that would empower them for the work that they were going to do. And so they did that. The disciples, the actual number of, of those that had followed most closely with Jesus, but then all of the layers of those others that had become followers of Jesus's. Uh, it goes on to say here in the 14th verse of the first chapter, all these, uh, having named the disciples, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. There were about 120 that were gathered uh, in this group. And you can sort of imagine what they were doing. You can imagine that they were sharing stories with each other. Can't you imagine that Mary Magdalene surely was in this group and that uh, she was recounting to Peter and to those that would hear her coming before Jesus or Jesus is coming before her and calling her name there at the entryway to the tomb. Can't you imagine that not only did she share that story, but she shared the story with them once again about the way in which uh, Christ called her out of a life that was claiming her and dragging her down and cast those demons to the side and lifted her up in the spirit of the Lord to do the, the work of Christ in the world. Can you imagine also Jesus' mother Mary sharing? You remember that, that Mary from the earliest days, uh, she pondered things, she's treasured them in her heart, she preserved uh, the, the angel's word to her about what was going to happen. And all of those early occurrences in the life of Jesus, uh, even when he was left behind uh, unknowingly in Jerusalem and was communicating uh, with the temple higher class and posing questions to them that, that proved that he had such insight as a young child. And she treasured all of this. She pondered it in her heart. Can't you imagine that they were asking her, can you tell us about this story again and how Jesus came to be a part of your life? And Jesus, how we have followed him through these days, especially recently, right up to the cross. And you remember Jesus uh, was speaking to John, but also his mother there as he was dying on the cross. They were remembering all of this together. There's some people that say that Pentecost is the birthday of the church, and I would take issue with that. Um, that is not the place at which the church was born. 
Uh, Jesus was in the process of forming the church uh, throughout his calling of those followers close to him. Um, and in fact, they were busy about doing the work of the church, the thing that claims the church so much of the time. The church is this institution, and like any institution, it will claim the attention of those that were, are a part of it. You notice uh, that in the scripture, if you read back ahead of what was shared this morning, that uh, the disciples were sitting around evidently thinking to themselves, I wonder how long we're gonna have to wait. Is it two or three days? Is it, is it a week or two? Is it, are we gonna have to be here a month, uh, two months before anything occurs? Jesus did not give them a timeline that he was on. And so they were wondering, okay, so what are we to do here? I mean, how long can you just sit together in a group and share stories, even about Jesus, you know? And so they were wondering, someone says, well, we're down one disciple. You know, Judas is not with us anymore. And so they began to cast lots and to select Matthias as that 12th disciple, the church being the church, the church doing those institutional things, the church council doing the work of the church council. This is what the bane of the existence of the church is. We don't know another, another thing about Matthias, even though his name appears right here in the scripture. We don't know another thing about him. The church has this way of doing churchy kind of things. Left to ourselves, everything would become static. Everything would become stationary. You know how this works. The memories that we want to keep in place of the way things were. Even the place in this sanctuary where we sit. Aren't you a slave to the rule that you have set for yourself that this is your pew, this is where you sit. Not that you would be unkind and not share it with somebody else, but you are constantly pulled to remember that this is the spot where you first felt comfortable sitting and so to that spot you return over and over and over again. It is just the nature of who we are. The birth of the church was in the institutionalizing of who we are. And this is not good. And this is why Jesus said, wait here for power that I will send to you. Uh, we were at annual conference, as Kathy shared just a little bit ago, and we had the opportunity to go over to one of the great churches in the South Georgia Conference, St. Luke United Methodist Church, it's not as great as Pittman Park United Methodist Church, but we went to it anyway. And uh, there in that beautiful sanctuary, we had an ordination service in which uh, not only uh, Kirk Hagen uh, was uh, given his elders orders, but a number of others that were present were being commissioned as provisional members. And, and as these were um, ordained by our bishop. Um, it was a, just a wonderful crescendo uh, with the congregation as we were participating in that place and fully aware and alive in that sanctuary. I was aware that in that sanctuary there were beautiful stained glass windows that lined um, the naves and the as, as I looked at these, I thought to myself how gorgeous these, these windows are, and they sparkle with, with light. They are so filled and, and vibrant. 
but um, they are frozen in time. The, the vignettes that they share about the life of Christ and the, the beauty of God at work throughout all of history, uh, those little scenes that are captured uh, in these vignettes, in these sort of icons uh, along the sides of that great sanctuary, uh, they are they are about the work that I have just been sharing with you. And that is that the church doesn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we will make everything static if it's left to us. You and I are called to be set free in Christ and to share, to be alive in this faith. And we are befuddled as to how we might do it. Tom Long, who is a homiletics professor um, at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, says that when he uh, was early on in his ministry, he had the opportunity to visit a church on Pentecost. His children were there with him. And the preacher that was preaching on that Sunday, he said had been very inventive. He said that he had planned it out quite well to to, uh, to shake the congregation up and to the shaking he went. He said that when he began to read the scripture that was read for us this morning, that someone in the choir punched a tape recorder and this great sound of a roaring wind filled the entire sanctuary. He said his children who came in there expecting to be totally bored with the service, all of a, all of a sudden began to sit up and take notice because as he continued to read the story about the flames of fire on top of the disciples' heads, there were persons that were designated throughout the congregation to reach into their purse or into their pocket and to pull out these little red pom-poms that they began to dangle above their heads and toss. And by this point, he said, my children's eyes were like saucers as they began to look and to see what was going on in that place. And as he continued to read, Several persons in the congregation who were bilingual began to stand up and to speak in non-English tongue and they began to be the evidence of what happened years and years ago. The choir began to sing, breathe on me breath of God, fill me with life anew. And when you thought that everything was over, he was beginning his sermon a man stood up and rudely interrupted and said, they're all filled with new wine. They're filled with new wine. <laughs> At the end of that worship service, Tom said that his son David came to him and he said, oh, wow, Dad, oh, wow. This is really church. <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine the church has been trying to do this kind of thing and orchestrated ourselves for years. Even in cathedrals long ago, there was a little trap door that was at the top of the building. At a particular time designated in the service, probably when this scripture was read, some young gentleman who had crawled up to the eaves of the church building would cast into the sanctuary doves that would begin flying above the congregation. Uh, this was expected, I suppose, and something that they did in order to remember Pentecost. How is it that you have come in expectation of what might happen today? Does it take all of these orchestrations 
not all of which are bad. Some are so well guided and their purpose and the intention behind this is so good in order to awaken us. I was reflecting just this week about the ways in which we do this in other times of the year. Particularly at Christmas, we embrace the idea of bringing in the symbols. Uh, Again, Christians did not invent the idea of bringing green trees into their homes. I understand that the Druids may have done that. But it's interesting that uh, that Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, uh, was the one who first came with the idea of attaching candles to a tree. When he was on his way home from church one day, he was thinking about his next sermon, and he was so so overwhelmed with the, the stars and the night sky and the thoughts that he had of God's glory. He saw the stars shining through the trees, and by the time he got home, he was telling his wife, if you can imagine her hearing this for the first time, I want to bring a tree into the house and I want to put candles all over it. And she was saying to him, sure you do, sure you do. And here we are celebrating, celebrating with that symbol in our lives. You and I need power of image in order to motivate us. But we need the intervention more than the image. Last night, Sue and I went out for a bite to eat and afterwards we went on a date to Walmart. And uh, some of you may have been aware that a storm came through. A storm came through Statesboro. Fortunately, no tornado was attached to it. But uh, it happened that we were sitting uh, there in the car uh, waiting for this storm to pass over, which it seemed that it never would. And Sue was frankly a little scared because I was Googling this. You know, you got to look at the, what's happening, you know. And it said winds up to 45 or 50 miles an hour were going to be coming through Statesboro. And I thought, that's a lot of wind. And so Sue was sitting there. She had driven us over to the, to the parking lot. And yet I became impatient with the waiting. I said, I will come around and get you with the umbrella. And she looked at me and uh, she said, okay, let's try it then. And so I got out of the car, came around. This was a wind that almost turned the umbrella inside out, that kind of wind. And I put it over her, and she said, I'm getting wet. I said, I'm trying here. You hold the umbrella. <laughs> and, and so we closed the door, and we made our way, and she in her sandals, her feet were just freezing, you know, and the rain that was coming down from way above. And, and we finally made it to the door, and she looked at me, and she said, did we have to do this? <laughs> It was the elements that were invigorating, though, to me as as we were maneuvering our way through them, the lightning striking, the storm, the wind, the, the rain. All of this was a way of engaging who we are and calling us out of the stupor of our lives. The Spirit of God seeks to do this. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit, not that storm that came through. You know that. But Jesus wishes to be fully present with his people, those who are his followers, those with whom he is creating community. He calls us to be in community. And this is the reason he told them to wait until the power comes. They were in prayer together. They had been gathered. And they were seeking out to engage and to share in community in the way that Christ would want them to. 
And then Christ showed them a larger idea of what community was about. And I hope that you hear this today. I want you to hear it loud and clear that Christ always has a larger idea of what community is than the church is easily able to bear. And here the disciples were spilling onto the streets, tongues of fire on their head, and they began to speak, not through glossolalia, as has been referenced in the scripture too, not in some unknown tongue, but they were speaking in a way that they became translators to the ones who were living there in Jerusalem. These were not pilgrims that had come to Jerusalem. These were people that were residents of Jerusalem that had been gathered in from the diaspora, all kinds of countries that had come in, come in and spread the Jewish community to the entire planet, it seemed. And they had come moving back to Jerusalem, bringing with them not only their Hebrew not only their Aramaic, but bringing with them what was their home tongue. And that was the place where they had been raised. And they heard the disciples speaking to them in that tongue. And they were stunned because God's presence was being made known to them in a way that was absolutely bewildering. They were asking the question, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that God is creating within us a new idea of what it means to be Christian. A dear friend of mine is a missionary. His name is John Rents. John and Rosalie Rents um, work, John specifically, with the Wycliffe Bible translators. And years ago, when I was beginning to serve uh, churches in South Georgia, John began his work in the Solomon Islands of translating the Word of God, this Holy Scripture, into the islander languages of the Solomon Islands. Fascinating work and very tedious. It is only because of his long commitment to it that anything much could have been added to the translation. In fact, over the course of his life's work, he will not have completed translating the scripture as a whole, only a small portion thereof. Those that had received it have celebrated with him and he has celebrated some of the accomplishments. But it is a very tedious work. It only comes to my mind that the work that Christ wishes to do in us is something that must be gift. Not that John's work should be diminished in any way. Lord, we need more like him that are called to do that kind of work. But you and I and John and all those who call themselves followers of Christ are doing ourselves a disservice if we are not still gathering in prayer in order to wait upon what only God can do, and that is to fill us to overflowing with his holy message to be shared in every street and every byway all around this great planet. Verse 17 that we did not quite get to has to do with Peter's preaching after he got out onto the streets and as people were listening, he quoted the prophet Joel 
Joel said, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That doesn't mean just all the world. It means all kinds of human flesh. And I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it. And you have too. That God's spirit can occupy any soul that is willing to accept and embrace the idea of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How is it that you find yourself right now? Are you bewildered? Not everyone will get this. Are you bewildered with what your call, what your task might be? I believe that the Holy Spirit is that gift to us of mystery. I believe that we are called to be a people of prayer who seek out what God would want us to do. I believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift, however, too, of boldness. You and I being called to actually share the good news of Jesus Christ here in Statesboro and to be together committed to sharing that message all around the world. The holy gift of the Spirit is a gift of vulnerability. Don't you know how vulnerable Christ was in going to the cross? And now Christ sends the Holy Spirit to give us the power in order that we might carry the message as well. I know some of you are saying, I don't know what to say, or I'm afraid of what I might say. I'm afraid of the damage that will be done. I encourage you to trust the Spirit's guide and let God fill us to overflowing. There will be a sense in which it will be fear-inducing. But I can tell you that it will also be adrenaline pumping if we allow ourselves to be the instruments of the Spirit. We will be wind-tossed, we will be fire-singed, we will be smoke-filled, holy smoke-filled. And people will still, in this day and age, wonder, what does this mean? Don't you want people wondering that about you? Do you believe that God can still do this? Are you waiting? Are you praying? Are you willing to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? As we come to the close of our worship service, Jacob will come and lead us in our final hymn. And this message, of course, is ascending forth. Pentecost message is always ascending forth. But I also want to welcome those who might want to come and to recommit themselves uh, to Christ, to know that this altar is open for you to spend just a few moments in the singing of this final hymn uh, in prayer here. If you've never given your heart to Christ, if you have never committed yourself to who He is and what He is about, I would ask that you would consider coming forward and to making that commitment today.